Good morning, guys. If you have your Bible, go ahead and grab those and turn to John chapter 3 once again. Today we're reading John chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And really what I want you to notice as we read is really what is holding back Nicodemus from having faith in Jesus. We talked about one of them last week, but I see a second one in our passage. Notice it with me. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one could do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, how can, it, how can man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time in his mother's womb, can he? Jesus said, verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So everyone who is born of the Spirit, verse 9, Nicodemus, puzzled, said to Jesus, How can these things be? And Jesus answered, Are you Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and yet you do not accept our testimony. If I told you of earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? Amen. Thank you. Today's message is going to be a little bit of part B to John chapter 3 to last week. Question. What is preventing you from believing in Jesus? To Christians, what is preventing you from believing in Jesus? Both are valid questions. Because as I look, biblically speaking, both Christians and non-Christians wrestle with the issue of faith. Wrestle with the issue if they are going to believe and trust in Jesus. To Christians in the room, my question for you is, what is hindering your faith? My question to Christians is this, what is hindering your faith? Faith is essential for both salvation and for sanctification. Faith is, put it in other words, faith is essential to both eternal life, but also growing spiritually in our faith. What does it say in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6? That without faith, it is impossible to please God. So what is preventing you from believing in Jesus? To non-Christians, maybe to some of you who aren't sure about this Jesus thing, to some of us who have not been born again and renewed from the inside out, to some of us probably we restrain or hinder our faith because of ignorance. Uh, All people around the world see God's general revelation, but not all people have heard of his special revelation. What I mean by that is all people can see in nature, see through the trees and the skies and the sun and the moon, that God exists, but some people around the world have not heard the message of the gospel. Uh, Some of us, what hinders our faith is maybe a belief in Jesus is his lack of popularity. That believing in Jesus is not the popular thing to do. You know, if I'm honest, uh, believing in Jesus will never be the popular thing to do in a secular culture. 
if Jesus it becomes suddenly popular in a secular culture, then that means that Jesus has been reduced down to nothing more than just something in the sky that's just a big teddy bear. This somewhat prevents people from having faith in Jesus is their mind, is reason, the fact that God cannot fit into some manipulative box. To some it's wealth as a rich young ruler, to others it's relationships, which we will see in John chapter 4, and to some others the reason they do not believe in Jesus is because of religion. But some struggles really never change. That even after faith, even after we have believed in Jesus Christ, even after we have been changed from the inside out, we have been born again, some struggles never change. Even after an experience like the road to Damascus, where Paul is on the road and Jesus appears before him, that we can even still struggle and be crippled by unbelief. We can be like Peter, who had the bravery to step out of the boat to only then focus on the waves and not on the Savior before him. Faith is both necessary to be saved, but also necessary to grow in our faith. My question is for you, is what is holding you back from believing in Jesus? To Christians, what is hindering your faith? Because this question is the central question in John chapter 3. We see this man named Nicodemus, and he thinks that he is born again. He thinks that he is right with God, which we will unpack more in just a second. But he thinks he is right, that he is good, that when he dies, he's going to go to heaven. But nothing can be further from the truth, because he is in reality spiritually dead and not born again from the inside out, that the Holy Spirit has never come into his soul and made him new. That is the central tension of John chapter 3. We saw last week that the first thing that is blinding Nicodemus is his religion. That he was and has been deceived by his religion to think that he could be good enough to get to heaven, that because he was a child of Abraham, because he had a sign of the covenant called circumcision, that he thought that he could storm into the kingdom of God. But nothing could be further from the truth. What I find amazing about Nicodemus is that here he is. He is a teacher of Israel. He he knows the Bible. He is well respected. He is lofted. He is one of, one of 71 people on the Sanhedrin. And he fails to see the basic message of the Bible on what it means to be saved. What does it say in Genesis 15, 6? It says, And Abraham believed in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Nicodemus was so blinded by his religion that he failed to see the truth of the Scripture. The road to heaven is not paved in deed, but in blood. And then what does Jesus say to him in verse three of chapter, verse three of chapter three? He says, Jesus answered and said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now at the end of verse three, what is Nicodemus thinking? He has been born again. If you were here last week, actually, actually in Nicodemus' mind, he has been born again four times by his religion. 
If you remember that, he had his bar mitzvah. He was married. He was a teacher of Israel. He was the leader of a rabbinic school. So in Nicodemus' mind, not only should he inherit the kingdom of God because of who his father was, but also because he has been born again four times. But being born again has nothing to do with the external. It has to do with the internal. It has to do with the work of the Holy Spirit in our minds and in our souls. But Jesus is correct when he says in verse 3 that one must be born again. He cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus is correct. But being spiritually born again, being renewed, being changed from the inside out has nothing to do in our culture with being good enough or being a good person or walking down the aisle, or what church you grew up, or with coming forward on the hundredth time of just as I am. None of that allows us to inherit eternal life, because those are all external. Despite what Nicodemus thinks, being born spiritually, being renewed, has nothing to do with deeds, has nothing to do with external actions, but has to do with faith in the work of the Holy Spirit provided to us by the cross of Christ. But I want you to notice with me, we're going to see Nicodemus' confusion unfold before us. We saw last week that Nicodemus is first confused, he's first deceived by his religion because he thinks he will inherit the kingdom of God. He thinks that he is born again. We see that he is deceived last week, but then we will see that he is deceived by something else altogether. Notice verse 4. It says, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Verse 5, and Jesus is patient. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, what does that mean? Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. What is holding Nicodemus back from believing? We talked about last week, his crutch is religion, but what else is happening here? And a little bit of TMI, we're going to kind of go down into the text real quick. I'm going to kind of outline it for us. If you notice in your text, you have the header statement in verse 3, and then its expansion is in verse 5, and the logic for verse 5 is in verse 6 through 8. Let me say that again if you didn't catch that. Verse 5 is the expansion of verse 3, and verses 6 through 8 is the logic behind verse 5. So catch it with me. How does one enter the kingdom of God, verse 3, by being born again? And how are we born again by two things? And then how is that possible? The logic found in verses 6 through 8. What does Jesus say when it says that you must be born of what? Two things, of water and the, I'll let you talk, and water and the... Spirit, so water and the spirit, but then what does that mean? Right? What does it mean to be born of water and the Spirit? I think most of us probably understand what it means to be born of the Spirit. But what does Jesus mean by being born of water? There are five main views. I'm going to get a little bit TMI, go down in the weeds for just a second, then I'll explain kind of what position I take in this. The first view of being born of water, some say that it means to be physically baptized. That one must be physically baptized with water in order to be born again. This is a convenient and easy explanation, but it is wrong. 
if one enters heaven by being born of physical baptism, what does that tell me? It is, yeah, I'm hearing it. It's faith plus, right? We're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, period, end of story. Can I get a name into that one? That there is a, I'll say, the world's largest cult is right up the road, and it tells you that you have to be physically baptized in order to be saved. View number two is that being born of water means that we must be born of the Word of God. The evidence of this is found in Ephesians 5.26. I find this, I find this to be a little bit difficult within the context. View number three, some people say that being born of the water means being born of the Holy Spirit. But if I'm honest, that doesn't make sense to me. Yes, we must be born of the Holy Spirit. We must be spiritually renewed and changed. Yes, that is true. But why would Jesus say the same thing twice back to back? View number four is that something born of water refers to the repentance ministry of John the Baptist. I find none of these compelling and some of these to be vastly dangerous. What does Jesus mean that we must be born of water? Now, I would like to, before I give you the answer, just to create a little bit more tension, but to remind you of something really quick. What is the, let me just, okay. When we study the Bible, when we read the Bible, when we memorize the Bible, when we hear a sermon about the Bible, what is the goal the goal is to understand the author's original intent. So when you read Psalm 23, what is the goal? It's, to it's not really understand what the Bible means to me. It really means, what did David understand by those words? And all of the views I've already mentioned I find to be a little bit convenient, but a little bit biased with our culture itself. My question is, is this, what did, what did Nicodemus in the first century when he is standing, sitting there, or standing there with Jesus, as he has come to Jesus by night, he enters into some kind of house, he finds Jesus, he begins to ask these questions. What did Nicodemus himself understand it meant to be born of water? Nicodemus would have known about Proverbs chapter 5. He would have known about Pharisaic writings. Nicodemus understood to be born of water, meaning to be physically born. That's, in my opinion, what it means to be born of water, that you are physically born, that you're physically alive. This is a note from a Jewish scholar. I'm going to get a little bit in the weeds, but I'll explain. It says this, in Pharisaical writings, the phrase born of water referred to physical birth. Wait a second. What, what is Nicodemus? Nicodemus is a Pharisee, so he would know of this teaching quite, quite vividly. The expression of being born of water simply meant that anyone who has been physically born was born of water, and to be born physically as a Jew in their eyes was sufficient to enter into the kingdom of God. So how are we born again? We must be physically alive. That is true, right? All right. And then number two is that we must be born of the Spirit. What does that mean? It means that we must be spiritually transformed, spiritually changed, that when we have faith that we are changed from the inside out. 
Everyone that enters the kingdom of God must be born of water and born of the Spirit. The born of the Spirit refers to the internal work, internal regeneration of the Holy Spirit, that taking our old self and creating in us a new self. One adds this, to be born of the Spirit means the Holy Spirit regenerates the dead and human spirit to become alive in God. That is the kind of new birth which is absolutely essential for the entry into the kingdom of God. Until Nicodemus experienced this kind of new birth, he would not see the kingdom of God. Let me just... Picture Nicodemus for just a second. His religion has told him his whole life. He has been raised his whole life. He's probably over 50 years old. So for 50 years, he has been brainwashed and told that because he is a child of Abraham, that he will inherit the kingdom of God. And in case that doesn't work, you can be born from above by doing these four things. What's the problem? That Nicodemus is trying to take external deeds, external work, and make himself be born from above to be changed spiritually. That his soul would be renewed by external means. But this is totally impossible. Can I just speak frankly? I think this is a disease in our culture. That we think that by some things we do, by coming to church and being a good person, whatever that means, and by doing this and doing that, that somehow these external deeds will change my spirit, will change me from the inside out, but nothing can be further from the truth. What does the scripture say about this new birth, about being made new? Verse, this is out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. It says, For the love of Christ compels us, Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose on their behalf. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. It is through Christ, not by means of deeds, but by means of the blood of Christ through the work of the Spirit, that we become a new creation. The old things have passed away, and behold, new things have come. Romans chapter 6, verses 4 through 7 says this, to add to this new being born of the Spirit. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into his death. So that as Christ, he was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so that we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be made in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin For he who has died is freed from sin. Let me just repeat that just because it is awesome. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, 
That through the blood of Christ and through the work of the Spirit, when we have faith in Jesus Christ, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, being born of the Spirit, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. That when we are born again, that we were born of the Spirit, that we are eternally changed from the inside out. And when we are changed from the inside out, we are no longer slaves to sin, but now we are obligated in a sense to serve the Lord. How is one born again? He must be born of the flesh, physically born, and he must be born of the Spirit. He must be spiritually changed. But notice the logic of behind verse 5. So verse 3 is, how is one entered the kingdom of God and must be born again? Verse 5 is, how are we born again? We're born of water and the Spirit. And then notice the logic, because I'm sure Nicodemus is kind of messed up. He's totally confused. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This is the logic behind verse 5. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. What's Nicodemus' problem? Verse 7, Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it has come from or where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. How are we born again? By water and Spirit. And how is this possible? Logic number one is because flesh is flesh and Spirit is Spirit. What's Nicodemus' problem? I've already said it. But Nicodemus has this backwards. He is trying to take his flesh, external deeds, to change his spirit. But what he doesn't see is that that it's apples and oranges. Right? Can I just state it this way? That Nicodemus, in a sense, if this doesn't work, I'm sorry, is trying to drive a car to outer space. Right? It's two different things. You can't do one with the other. Nicodemus is trying to take his acts of the flesh, the four out of six things, his bar mitzvahs, being married, a teacher, being a, rabbin, a leader of a rabbinic school. He's trying to do those four things and to confirm that he has been born from above, born again. But what he doesn't see is that the flesh is flesh and the spirit is spirit. It's two different things. But then notice the second piece of logic, verse 7. Do not be amazed that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So everyone is born of the Spirit. As Nicodemus is confused, what Jesus really does in verse 7 through 8, he says, logic number 2, that some things in life don't make sense. That's what I see. We'll explain it more. Some things in life don't make sense because here in just a minute, in verse 9, Jesus says, Are you, or verse 10, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand these things? What Nicodemus fails to understand is not, not everything fits within his little, little mind and little bit, little bitty religious framework because being born of the Spirit is like the wind. We do not know its source. We do not, we can only see its effects. Notice, listen to one scholar as he explains A little bit further, hang in there with me on this idea. I find it valuable. He says this, Jesus illustrated his point with the wind in verse 6 with a familiar example from nature. The wind cannot be controlled. It blows where it wishes. And though its general direction can be known, where it comes from or where it is going cannot be precisely determined. Nevertheless, the wind's effects can be observed. The same is true of the work and the spirit 
His sovereign work of regeneration in the human heart can neither be controlled nor predicted, yet its effect can be seen in the transformed lives of those who are born of the Spirit. Let's just ask the, let's just ask the question. What is Nicodemus' problem? What is preventing him at this juncture from believing and having faith in Jesus Christ to spiritually renew him, to allow him to be born of the Spirit? We talked about one last week. I feel like is his religion, problem number one is his religion, because his religion taught him that he could be, as because he's a child of Abraham, that he would be uh, invited into the kingdom of God. What's the second problem here? What's the second thing that's really holding him back from really believing in Jesus? Verse 9. Nicodemus said to them, How can these things be? What's his question? This doesn't make sense, right? Jesus answered said to him, Are you, <laughs> Nicodemus, the teacher? You are a big deal in your country. You're a teacher of a rabbinic school. You're part of the Sanhedrin. You're a big deal. Are you the teacher of Israel? And you do not understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. And if I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? What is holding Nicodemus back from believing and being changed? I want you to notice the phrases with me. Do not be amazed. How can these things be? Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, what is hindering him from faith? One is the mind, but problem number, excuse me, one is religion, but the second problem is his mind. In my opinion, God does not fit neatly into his little box. It does not fit neatly into the framework of his theology and his training God is the wind. His effect can be seen, but his source and movement of the Holy Spirit cannot be measured or controlled. And that doesn't really make sense to Nicodemus because in his world, everything is controllable. His salvation is controllable. His redemption before God is controllable. He has all the boxes checked in his world to be saved and to be rejuvenated, but none of them matter. It doesn't make sense to Nicodemus. His mind is hindering his faith. What I'm afraid of is that this problem persists. That this problem persists. What I'm afraid of is that Nicodemuses are in every pew in America. That our mind that what we can understand, that what we can piece together, that the facts and figures and knowledge hinder our faith. As so many times we rely on the wisdom of ourselves, the wisdom of a friend, the wisdom of a wise person, which you should advise them. But so many times we let our mind hinder our faith in trusting the Lord. Because in reality... Christianity doesn't make sense. I don't blame Nicodemus for being a little bit confused because he has not been born of the Spirit. He has not been changed from the inside out. You know, in our culture, it is logical. It makes sense that one can be a good person and earn the way to heaven. It is logical 
that God would play favorites with the nation of Israel because after all they were and still are God's chosen nation. It is logical in our American culture that if we obey the law that we are innocent. (laughs) That makes sense in our culture. That's what we are taught. But that is not the case with God. What does the Bible say? That we were born with a sin nature from Adam. That makes no sense. That when we were born, we stand guilty before God without even an act of disobedience. What? It is logical that a good God only allows good things to happen. It is logical that if God is truly loving, that he will only lovingly allow all people into heaven. This is all logical. This is all lies. Just like the wind, the work of the Holy Spirit can be seen, but it does not, we do not know its source, nor do we know where it is headed. Christianity is not logical in a lot of degrees. That's why it's called faith. There's so many times, friends, that we let our minds hinder our faith. It is not logical that we are born sinners, that we cannot earn our way to heaven, that God is infinite and bound by nothing, even God's love itself. We love to talk about God's love, right? Amen? We love to talk about God's love, amen? It's awesome. God's love is awesome. It's unquenching. It is selfless. And that makes no sense. We really, if you think about it, we really only understand selfless love on an, especially an experiential level. We don't really understand something like Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated His love in that while we were enemies, that while we were yet sinners, He still died for me. That makes no logical sense. Christianity doesn't necessarily fit into the box of our mind and that is okay. My encouragement for you today is to realize if your mind is hindering your faith. And then what I would like you to do is to guard your faith. Because faith without faith is not faith. Say that again. Faith without faith is not faith. That part of walking the Christian life is trusting the Lord. Is not forcing God into our little boxes that we can help make, helps us make sense of Him. Just like Nicodemus is doing in John chapter 3, his religion has deceived him and his mind is blocking him from understanding the truth. Friends, is our mind hindering our faith? My point today is this. That being born again, born from above is what I mean by that. Being born again is not from deed or knowledge but redemption and faith. Being born again, going to heaven, entering the kingdom of God, being born again is not from being good enough or not about what you know, being mentally assent to the truth of the gospel, but being born again is from redemption, a work of God through Jesus Christ, that his sacrifice was sufficient and through the work of the Holy Spirit to renew my soul from the inside out, from a work of redemption And our faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, as we shared last week, today was really part two of John chapter three. So a lot of my sermon overlapped, and that's okay. 
My commission to you last week is do not let your religion, your religiosity deceive you to the truth. That so many times we're bound by legalism or rules. That we fail to really see and live out love and grace for one another. Although we do need to be active against sin. The swinging on the other side is that if we're too lax on our religion, if we let our religion blind, blind us to the truth, that sometimes that we swing to the opposite side of the coin and that we no longer say sin matters. Or then we kind of, sometimes if the, our religion blinds us, then we kind of end up in the middle. And we don't really care about much of anything. That church is just something boring. That memorizing a Bible verse and Awana is boring. That was me for like 10 years, okay? Why am I doing this? But Christianity is not that way. You have been born again. You've been born from above that when you have faith in Jesus Christ, that your spirit is made new, that you are a new creation, that you are no longer slaves to sin. And because of that, Christianity should be exciting. It should be passionate in that we should have an unquenchable thirst for the things and knowledge of God. My second commission to you is this. Do not let your religion hinder your faith. And then, number two, do not let your mind hinder your faith. Just like God, it cannot be measured, cannot be sourced, nor the work of the Holy Spirit be controlled. So oftentimes is God outside of our realm of understanding and what I see in John chapter 3 is that Nicodemus is shackled by his desire to understand all things, not on the basis of faith, but on the basis of knowledge. And this problem of knowledge is not just a first century issue, but a 21st century issue as well. We must be careful not to erase the necessity of faith on the altar of understanding. Can I say that? Okay, let me say that again. As Christians, we must be careful not to erase the necessity of faith on the altar of understanding. As Christians, we must be careful not to erase the necessity of faith on the altar of understanding. Recently, I was gathered with some people, and we were sitting there talking about what else is anybody else talk about right now is COVID, right? Okay, well, really, two topics of conversation in every coffee shop, which no longer are open. Anyways, moving on. But there's two topics of conversation. It's COVID and politics, right? Amen? All right, it's exhausting right now. Okay, but I'm sitting there talking with these gentlemen about COVID and kind of what we should be doing. And so he and I and, and some other guys are sitting there around the table and talking about kind of what we should be doing. And, and measuring and calculating everything according to our mind and the neurons that we have in our brain. And then somebody just out of the blue says something so profound. He says this, where's God in all this? <laughs> just pop my head, right? Because he was so right. So many times, especially in our culture today, when we're just consumed by the problems of the culture. That we try to take all of the data and we try to boil it down to something that we can control and understand. But then the question is, is where is God in all this? Because faith without faith is not faith. We 
what is preventing you from believing in Jesus? What is preventing you from having faith in him? Is it your religion, or is it your mind, or is it something else? Is it selfishness? My question for my application is, question number one is, are we relying too much on our own mind? Should we be so narrow-minded to think that we have enough neurons firing in our brain to negate the need to trust God? I had a friend of mine, I was sitting at Salsaritas this week with him, and he was talking about some situation that he had. And he was talking about how he was trying to purchase something, a large purchase called a house, which we probably have purchased in this room, and how there were some hang-ups to try to purchase this home. And then he said something to me, you know, we can do everything we can according to man-made rules, but I just need to trust the Lord in amongst all of these obstacles and all of the stress and all of the plans. Are we relying too much on our mind? And then question number two is this, and I think we can all answer this question. How is our mind limiting our faith? How is our mind limiting our faith? The road to heaven is not paved in deed, is not paved in being good enough, is not paved in who you are or who your parents were or being good enough or being a good person. You cannot be good enough to get to heaven. Why? What does it say? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's what it says in the scripture, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, that there is nothing we can do to earn our way to heaven. And that's why we need Jesus. Can I get an amen to that one? What does it say in the scripture? What does it say in the most famous verse in all of the Bible? All right? Even if you've gone, never gone to church, you probably have heard this one. Being saved, going to heaven requires two pieces, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the, that he gave his one and only son, right? That's piece number one. That God saw our condition, he saw that we cannot earn our way to heaven, so then God sent his one and only son named Jesus Christ to be the sacrifice, to be the payment for our sin that we could not pay, right? And then as the provision of the cross, what has God done? Not only has He saved us eternally, but now that we, through the, through the work of the Holy Spirit, can be made new. That we are born from above. That we are no longer slaves to sin, but we are now destined to work good deeds for the kingdom of God. Peace number one is what God has done, and peace number two is this. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son... That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The truth of the gospel is that we cannot save ourselves. This is why we need Jesus and that is why Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sin so that we could be made right before God the Father. But there is still some semblance of responsibility that we have. No matter where you stand on the sovereignty spectrum, okay, what I mean by that, no matter if you're an 18-point Calvinist or an 18-point Arminian, okay, no matter where you are, okay, I'm not getting into that debate, don't worry, okay, no no matter where you are on that spectrum, guess what you still got to do? Exactly. 
that there is still some semblance of responsibility that God has given to each of us to believe in Jesus Christ. My question for you is this. I'm not sure where you stand. I'm not sure if you've ever believed in Jesus Christ. But will you believe in Him? Will you trust in Him as your Lord and Savior? And when you believe... The Spirit of God renews your soul. You are now born from above. No longer a slave to sin. If you have questions about what it means to believe in Jesus Christ, I do not do uh, prayers and things like that here. I just present the truth, but I also do want to give an invitation If you've never believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then I would encourage you to do that. And if you believe or if you have questions, feel free to approach me in the hallway or approach any of the elders that are here at Calvary Bible Church. To non-believers, what is causing you to not believe? Believe and be saved. And to Christians, to those who do believe in Jesus Christ, my encouragement to you is this. To move past the boundaries of religion. To move past the limits of your mind. To trust in Jesus. Because He is great, He is eternal, He is sovereign, and He is loving. My encouragement to you is that you would not limit God to the neurons in your brain, but that you would have faith in Him despite the circumstances that you face. Faith without faith is not faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Bow with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Uh, I thank you for Nicodemus and his just vulnerability. He is so famous. Many of us have heard of his name. Uh, but we fail to understand the culture and we fail to understand his struggles that are blinding him to the truth of the gospel. Lord, I just pray that we would not be bound to the limits of our religion, that we would not be crippled by legalism, we would not be crippled by this movement of hyper-grace, but Lord, that we would trust in you and that we would serve you. Lord, I pray also that we would, as Christians, I know I live in an engineer town. I was raised by an engineer. Lord, I pray that we would not limit the work of God to the neurons in our brain, but that we would have faith in you to move beyond what we can understand, and to trust you in your work in our lives and through our lives. Lord, I just thank you for today, and I thank you for all those that are online. I thank you for just our, their precious souls. Lord, I miss them. I miss so many of my friends that are unable to be here. Lord, I just pray that they would uh, feel the love of Christ where they are today. And I thank you for their faithfulness and support. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.